Why do we get married? A lot of us in this room, we're married. Um, others of us are single, but maybe one, one day hope to be married. But why? Why do we do that? I, I can safely guess that nobody's desire for marriage was strictly practical. I don't think, I don't know a person, and I'm sure nobody in this room, that, man, we get married because we want to strengthen the fabric of society. Or I'm, I'm going to get married because I need a little help on the farm. Okay, maybe in other cultures that's the case, but not here in America. I don't know anybody who gets married for a practical purpose. Here's why we get married. It's because we meet somebody, and there's an attraction there, and eyes meet, and there is flirting, and there are kind words and sweet gestures, and there's this romance that blossoms into an intoxicating Love, And we begin to think to ourselves, I need about 50 or 60 years of this. So we get married. There's a, for most of us at least, there's a euphoria that carries us to the altar. And we get married thinking that that dreamy kind of romance will continue on into marriage effortlessly. And then we get married. We come home from the honeymoon and we start to realize how sinful we are. The stuff that we ignored when we were dating, now in marriage, when we share a home, when we're under the same roof, we start to get ached and bothered by that same stuff. In dating, it wasn't an issue, but in marriage, those things become a real struggle. See, we thought, maybe you thought your spouse would change, and then they didn't. The romance that used to come naturally, now it has to be a discipline. It's something you have to work at. Uh, Maybe a couple of kids come along, work becomes more demanding, finances get stretched thin, our bodies start to change, and a lot of times married couples start to look at each other and wonder, what happened? What happened to us? And so the question for us, especially the longer we're married, is, is it possible that we can share as husbands and wives a life, one, that honors God, Two, a life full of love and deep commitment. But then thirdly, the thing that we want, that we're afraid perhaps of losing. Thirdly, can we actually enjoy ourselves in the process? Can there be a lasting, romantic enjoyment of marriage beyond the honeymoon? For a lot of folks, they they just kind of shrug their shoulders and say, well, maybe for some, but not for me. I remember Jennifer and me, when we were engaged, we were at Germantown Presbyterian Church. We'd walk around hand in hand, just smiling from ear to ear, getting ready for the big day. And a lot of the older couples would look at us and say, just wait, just wait. You know, this real snarky, uh, like, just wait till you're like us, was the implication of what they were saying. And that really bothered me. I was like, it doesn't have to be that way, does it? But for a lot of people, that's their conclusion. And so the, the answer is yes. Yes, we can honor God and love one another and actually enjoy marriage for a lifetime. But it starts for us deep down. It starts down where the roots are and the, and the very bottom of our hearts. It's not something that we can solve at the periodical rack at the Kroger checkout, you know, all those magazines that promise us a better marriage, better communication, better whatever, that's not the answer. That's not going to get us anywhere. We have to turn to the, to, the, to the bedrock of what is true, which is the Word of God. And see, here's, here's the problem. Before we get into the text, all of us want to be happy 
And I know maybe that sounds shallow to say it, but it's true, fundamentally true. Every human being, we want to be happy, and we're just sure of it. We think marriage is going to make us happy. It's one of the reasons we do it. But then there are times, of course, when marriage doesn't fulfill us. It doesn't make us happy like we want to be. And so it's our nature, it's our old sinful nature that starts to look beyond our marriage for for joy and significance and fulfillment. And it's not always an immoral search for us. It could simply be that we, you know, we... We start to buy things and we start decorating the house or we get a new car or whatever because we're looking for something that our marriage may not be fulfilling in that moment. Some of us will pour ourselves into work, into our career, or pour ourselves into the kids. Maybe a hobby or some meaningless, you know, uh, we'll binge on Netflix. We'll we'll fill our time and our minds with something uh, rather than the pursuit of, of this thing that we made vows toward that we were going to love and honor and serve and everything else, we just start to deviate. And of course, in the worst case scenario, we, we tend to, uh, some at least, tend to deviate into forms of sexual sin that can actually tear a family apart. You know, some things are more harmless, at least on the surface, but those kind of things, even Christian spouses can find themselves in. And it's rooted in this, this desire to be happy. right? And because I'm sure that my wife is going to make me happy, if ever she fails in that, then my entire world potentially dissolves and falls apart. I've got to find it elsewhere. Does that make sense? Um, so many people fall into this trap. And here's, here's the, the problem that the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 seeks, I think, to address. If we're seeking in our spouse what we can only receive from Jesus, then marriage will surely disintegrate. Marriage will fail. And so when the Apostle Paul tells us what it is to be married, Ephesians chapter 5, he does not give us fun tips for a good date night. He doesn't give us five ways to spice up your love life. He takes us to the very root of the issue. Paul's going to tell us this. If you want to have a happy, healthy, God-honoring marriage, it does not start simply between you and your spouse. It starts with you and Jesus. It starts with you and Jesus. And we're going to see that in, in... Two weeks. We're going to look today at wives, not because I want to pick on women, because that's where that's the order Paul gives it. Okay, wives come first in this case. Next week we're going to look at husbands. But Paul is going to take us to the very root of the issue here. If you want to have a good godly marriage, and I would say if you want to have a joyful marriage, here's where it starts. Wives come first. Husbands, you you better show up next week, guys. Okay, because this 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 is our time to. Uh, you, you will thank me for what I tell you today, men, but I'm going to be hard on us next week. Okay, so don't, don't skip out on me. Um, what we're about to read is a controversial text, by some at least. It shouldn't be, and we're going to see why. This is Ephesians 5.22. Paul says, Wives, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. What I want to do, I want us to look at three things, uh, very simply, the what, the why, and the how of this scripture, okay? What does submission mean for a wife? Why did God set it up this way? Why does God command this? And then how? I mean, how how can a spouse, a wife, in this case, live this out in a way that honors God and that blesses her husband. 
So the first question is, what does it mean for a wife to be subject to her husband? I want you, if you've got the the word open there, I want you to look at the, the verse that precedes 22. Verse 21 is what we finished with last week. And I'm going to read it again very quickly. It's a short verse. It says, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ or in reverence to Christ. Now, that is a command for everybody in the church. That's a command for female and male alike. And what it means is that we all, all of us, out of our love for Christ, out of devotion to him, we voluntarily come up under our brothers and sisters in Christ as an act of loving service and humility. That's what it is to be subject to one another in reverence to Jesus. Because I love Christ, I'm not going to live an egotistical life. I'm going to live a humble life of service to my brothers and sisters in the church. Okay? That's for all of us. It's an act of selfless love. Well, then Paul gets a little more specific. He's thinking not just of the church broadly, but he goes to the home in verse 22. And he says, wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. You notice in both of these verses, 21 and 22, the anchor is the Lord. The anchor is Jesus. In both cases, Paul says, be subject because of Christ. And so when we talk about what marital submission is, we can say, first and foremost, most importantly, it's rooted in Christ. Ladies, it is not rooted in your husband as to how good of a husband he is or how much you think he deserves your submission and respect. And certainly Paul does not say, wives, submit to your husbands because he's smarter than you or better or more valuable or more significant in God's eternal plan than you are. That is not what the the scripture says. And of course, that's where the controversy comes in. That's why so many people have a problem with a text like this, because their interpretation is, well, if wives have to submit to their husbands, that's, that's repressive. That, that's unfair. That's, that's uh, male domination right there, and that's not the way it ought to be. Well, that's true. I mean, that, that, that would be a fair criticism if that's what the Bible was saying. But we need to understand this. Paul wrote this about 2,000 years ago. And when, when, the, when, when Jesus encountered women, when the apostles wrote letters to the church in the New Testament, there is no way for us to fathom how progressive that treatment of women actually was. In the cultures of the time, Christianity treated women with a dignity that had never been seen before. In 1 Peter 3, Peter speaks of marriage and he says that we husbands ought to treat our wives as fellow heirs of the grace of life. That is to say that women are of equal dignity to men. Wives are of equal dignity to husbands. Paul says elsewhere that we are one in Christ Jesus and therefore there is no male or female. That is to say Christ makes no distinction distinction in terms of dignity and honor. Female is the same as male. So when we talk about submission here, it's not uh, subjugation, if that's the right word. It's not an inferiority or or like even a child to a parent would submit, uh, or a slave to a master. That's not at all the case here. There's an equality that Paul has in mind when he says, wives, be subject to your husbands, um, because there's a greater good for which God designed us. It's not about inferiority. It's not about oppression. And I'll say this more importantly, uh, wives or future wives, your model for submission here I mean, ultimately, your chief model for submission, I'm sure there are many wonderful 
examples of godly women in the Bible. I know there are. But your chief model is Jesus. It's a man. It's, it's your Savior. And I want to show you how that's true. In verse 23, you see it in the middle of our section today. Uh, Jesus is called the Savior of the body, the Savior of the church. How did he become our Savior? Philippians 2 says he submitted himself to the Father. He subjected himself to the governing eternal will of God. Jesus became flesh and blood. He submitted himself to become a man. And then he shed that blood on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and for eternal life in his name. And so Jesus actually models for us ultimately what submission is, what it looks like. And it's because he did it that you and I are even in this room having this conversation. Now, at any point in, in Jesus' ministry or even on the cross, did he ever lose his dignity? Did he ever become inferior somehow? No. He maintained his dignity by pouring himself out for us. In some mysterious way, Jesus, in his most vulnerable, was still the powerful son of God. Right? But he chose submission. And so when we look to this command, we ought to look to Christ first. That's why, wives, you are told, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because he's our focus in this. Your husband is secondary. He's the beneficiary in your home, but Jesus is the focus and the model. So this, ladies, this is not repressive. This is not inferiority. This is for you a voluntary act of honor. You get to do this because this is how God has established it. And it is for you an act of devotion to Christ. Okay? That's what submission means here. Now, why did God set it up this way? That's a great question. If, because if husbands and wives are equal, why does anybody have to submit to anybody? And I've heard that argument before. Why can't we just 50-50 this thing and share the leadership of the home? And that's a fair question. But I want you to look again at verse 23 and 24. Because Paul's going to give us insight into the why here. He says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Now these verses, uh, they speak to God's order and his design. When we start to think about this, Bo is actually a great example of this. He'll, he'll say things to me that reflect this at times, and I appreciate it. God has an order for everything he does. Isn't that right? Everything he does. You consider the universe. I mean, moon, sun, stars, and sky. You consider the rotation of the planets. Everything in God's creation was orderly. If you read through Genesis 1 and 2, there was a specific order. It's a teleological way. That's an orderly way that God has established things. And it's not just in the creation. We see it in biology and the way life works. We see it in the seasons, although not so much here in Mississippi. We see it in the vegetation. Uh, God orders his law. We see that in his word. He orders how nations and peoples are, are meant to be governed. He gives order to the church, and of course he gives order to the family. Why would he exclude the home from this? He orders the family. Now, why has God set up the whole universe to work in an orderly fashion? Because the opposite of order is what? It's chaos. What good comes out of chaos? Chaos does not produce peace and unity and progress. Only order can do that. 
And that's why even people who don't believe in God will act in an orderly way as God has established it. That's why every military in the world has a general and a rank underneath him because it's, it's required that there's order if they're going to be successful. Why does every team have a coach and then assistant coaches and captains? Why does every classroom have a teacher? Because order is required if we're going to flourish as human beings. That's the way God designed it. Now, why did God make the husband the head of the wife? Because if we're truly equal and interdependent, um, how, how did he make that decision? Well, I, you know, I'm sure there's a really good answer. The best answer I can give is that it's the wisest way God decided to establish his universe. It's the wisest way God chose to establish the home and out of the home, ultimately, all of the fabric of society. It's the way God made it because he viewed uh, husbands and wives and children underneath them. He viewed that as proper order for the unity and the peace of the home. Um, if there's a better answer, you come find me after church and I'll, I'll uh, submit a retraction next Sunday. Um, I think, I really think it's as simple as that. This is the wisdom of God given to us. It's the way he set it up and therefore it's right. And one of the ways we know it's right is when we deviate from it. Here's one of the biggest problems that we've, and this is not just a wife problem, this is a husband problem. We actually see this, don't turn there, but way back in Genesis chapter three, we see the reversal of God's order and all the pain that it has caused throughout human history. In Genesis 3, if you remember, Adam and Eve had rebelled against God. They had rejected his single command as to what they couldn't do, and therefore God proclaimed over them a curse, and not just over Adam and Eve, but all of humanity that would follow after them. We are now living in the outgrowth of this curse, which in Genesis 3, I want you to hear what God says to the woman. He said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you will bring forth children. But listen to this. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. You ever notice that? Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. In the context of a curse, here's what that means. That wives in your sinfulness, in your flesh, you will desire to take the reins of leadership away from your husband and your home. That's, a, that's natural to a woman. For men, part of that curse is he will rule over you. That is to say that for men, the temptation in our flesh is to dominate, is to shout down that woman and take control. And sadly, and, and most commonly, I think, we see this throughout culture and throughout history, is that men who live in that sin tend to become abusive. And that's where the repressive uh, fear that a lot of women have with a verse like this comes into play. Because historically, men have done a terrible job of this, of becoming abusers, uh, because we are living out of the curse as opposed to living from faith in Christ. And so we see this, though, when, when Genesis 3 plays itself out, when that curse plays itself out, that's when marriage falls apart. Because we have reversed roles. It's, it's not natural for men to lovingly, sacrificially lead their wives and families. I wish it was. It's not. Our nature is to dominate. Our nature is, when things get tough, to leave. Christ calls us to lovingly serve, right? That's, that's the antidote to the curse. It's not natural for women to want to submit and honor and respect their husbands. 
but in Christ it becomes possible, right? It's, it's when the order gets out of whack that things fall apart. And so that's why the Bible has to command us of this. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Not because you like it, not because it's easy or natural, but because that's the order that God has established for peace and unity and progress, and it honors him and it blesses our home, okay? I think that's why. And I think the alternative, of course, is deadly. It, it's, it's, uh, it's destructive every time. Now let's get to the fun part, the how, okay? I'm, I, don't, I don't normally get real super practical when I preach, and maybe I should more. Well, we're going to be real practical today. Uh, what submission is, why it's important, why God commands it, how, okay? Um, I, there's no way for me to give every possible way to, uh, to work out the application of this, wives. And I only speak from the other side of the table, of course. But I'm going to give you, ladies, a few things that your husband would really love for me to say. Um, I'm going to tell you some things that when we stood at the altar, when we men stood at the altar, here's what we were thinking it was going to be. Here's what we were hoping it would be, okay? And so men, right here, men, you're not allowed to elbow. You're not allowed to yell out amen. You just silently nod, okay, and bless my name because your day, your day is coming next Sunday, okay? I'm, I'll say it again. You don't, if you skip next Sunday, I, there's not that many of us, all right? I'll know you're gone. I'll come, pre, I'll, I'll preach it to you over coffee. Um, here, here's what I'd say. Practically, ladies, here's how, here's how you commit to a verse like this. Um, and the word is honor. One word, honor. That word's not in the text, but that, that to me is, is the basic meaning here. Honor. Uh, we can live, we men, we can live without a lot of things. We cannot live without honor. I'll say it again. We can live without a lot of things. We can live without a lot of money. We can't live without honor. Now, ultimately, of course, we ought to receive... What I'm about to say, we should receive this first from Jesus, men, of course. But ladies, there's something about you, there's something about the way God set it up that we leave our father and mother and we cleave to our wife and we become one flesh. And so you are the one person in this world who's most meaningful to us and who most dictates beyond Christ, who most dictates our, our sense of identity and significance. That's just the way it is. And so I, I say this sincerely, if the whole world tells a man how sorry he is, he has to know that there's one person, there's one person in all the world that still thinks he's somebody. All right? That's what it is for a man to find honor in his home and from his wife. I'll let you guys in on a little secret. Uh, we men don't like to admit this, okay, but I'm going to just blow our cover here. Uh, every single man, we're just, we're not really sure that we know what we're doing. Okay? Ever. Every single man, we live in this constant sense that we're tiptoeing right on the edge of utter failure, even if it's just in our own minds. We're always just sure that we're either failing now or we're surely going to fail tomorrow. It's something about us men that there's this insecurity in us that we're just like little fifth graders in our own hearts and minds, and there's a part of that that never leaves us. Men, you don't have to amen on that. I know it's true, though, and you can affirm that later uh, in private conversation. There's a part of us that we are scared to death that we're not going to be good enough. 
And so when the one woman, when the one person in this entire world that sees us down to the very bottom, that knows us better than anybody else, if she doesn't trust and respect and honor us, that's a pain that cannot be described. That's why the Bible says that a dishonoring woman is like oil in the hand. Who can grasp it? She is like the wind. Who can restrain her? And so when a woman does not honor her husband, she is cutting a primary artery on him. It is that important. Now, the best thing, ladies, that you can do is get in private and discuss this. Actually ask, what honors you? How do you feel loved? How do you feel respected? And listen, let him tell you. And don't push back on him. Don't throw it back on him. Well, you don't do this or that. You know, don't, just, just listen and receive what he has to say. Because a lot of men have never been asked that question, even by their own spouses. But I'm going to give you three quick tips here, okay? Because a lot of times we guys say, oh, I don't know. You know, we don't, we, don't, we don't have a lot to offer. So let me just give you some help here. I'm going to give you a couple of things concerning honor that we men desperately need okay, um, from our wives. First, honor him in private. Honor him in private. Never call him names. Never shout him down in order to win an argument. Never badmouth his mistakes. Don't bring past sins back into the conversation and refuse to let go of things that he has already been forgiven of and repented over things he can't change. Don't go, oh, oh, 1984, and then again in 99, and you did it again, didn't you? You know, you can't, you can't do that to a man. You can't bring that stuff back into play. Um, I'm going to say this in, no, there's no kids in the room. Um, don't withhold sexual fulfillment from him as a means of punishment, okay? Uh, we men, when we want to punish our wives in a passive-aggressive way, we will shut down communication because we know that's how we can get you. We just won't talk and listen, and that's not a good thing. That's a sin. Women, y'all know how to get us, don't you? Okay, it's real simple. And if you use that, though, as a tool to punish us for things that we've done that are wrong, you don't, you're not changing a man's heart in that, okay? Now, it doesn't mean that you don't work through it because you've been hurt, of course, but don't punish us by withholding the blessings that God has established for marriage uh, because that, doesn't, that, doesn't, that only makes things worse, okay? So a man needs to be honored in private. The, the one person who knows him has to honor him, okay, or else we've got nothing. Second, honor him in public. Honor him in public. Don't make fun of him to your friends. Don't badmouth him on the phone to your sister or your mom, okay? Um, don't bring up his failures at a dinner party because you think it's funny. Uh, it's, that is not, that's, let him do that, okay? Don't, don't become that person who lowers his esteem in the eyes of others in public. That is, that's, that's poison to a man's heart. What do you do instead? You brag on him. And y'all, this is, you talk about, I talk about poison, you talk about medicine to a man, you talk about a, a boost to a man, is when his wife brags on him to others. Y'all, the other day, the garbage disposal was stuck, and he rolled his sleeve up, and he stuck his hand down in there, and he pulled that mangled spoon out of that garbage disposal, and we rejoiced. What a man. 
Um, and, I, and, I, and I say that fun, in, a, in a funny way, but I'm telling you right now, there's almost nothing in the world better to a man than when he hears his wife affirm him to others. Look at who I married. Right? We take that for granted sometimes. And men, of course, we've got to do that too for our wives. We'll get to that next week, though. And then thirdly, honor him in front of your children. Uh, tell your children how much you appreciate their dad. Let them know. Never, ever badmouth him in front of your kids. Never pit your children against him. Don't use your children as mediators for your arguments. You saw that, didn't you? Did you see it? Did, did, didn't you hear him what he said? Don't ever use your children to function as a jury in your home. Don't make them pick sides. Never, ever do that. Let your children know what it looks like to honor him by the way you treat him, because they're going to learn from you. They learn from us how to treat the other. So they need to see it. Honor him in front of your kids. And part of this honor is it's just appreciation. It's appreciation. And I said it just a minute ago. One of the dominant fears in a man's heart is that he is or he will be a failure. And so such seems so simple, but ladies, just, just thank him for what he does. It can be that simple, just to thank you for what you do, something specific for what he's done. Maybe your husband doesn't make a lot of money. That's okay. That's okay. Thank him for working that job anyway. Thank him for working around those guys who are hard to work around to provide for his family. Um, we, we need to know that we're good enough. Now, again, we receive that from Christ for most men, but ladies, you play a role in that. You reflect to us how Christ feels about us. If Jesus accepts us unconditionally, we need our spouses to do the same, and so we need to know that you believe in us. If a man makes a mistake, not a sin, but a mistake, he can't have his wife come around and say, I told you so. I knew, I knew it would happen. Did I tell you it was going to happen? We, we need to know that your heart trusts in us, that you're with us, even when we fumble the ball, okay? Um, ra just randomly wrap your arms around him and tell him he's good. We men need to know that we're good enough, and, uh, and you're the apple of our eye. Uh, even if he didn't do anything to deserve it, just thank him. You're good. And that means the world to a man. I say the word appreciation. When something appreciates in value, like a home should, that means it gets more valuable over time. Depreciation, like a car, gets less valuable over time. Okay? What happens in marriage? Not what does happen, but what should happen. Is we appreciate each other. My wife becomes more valuable to me the longer we're married, and I am to her. Okay? And so uh, when we talk about honor, Jennifer, I'll tell you this, she's not in the room right now, she's with the, the children. Jennifer does not honor me because I deserve to be honored. And that is not what Paul's commanding us here to do. He's not saying an if-then command. If your husband's worthy, then honor him. Then submit to him. If he's a great leader, then follow him. No. Jennifer doesn't honor me because I'm just, just this wonderful saint of a man, and she just wants to be in my glory. Okay, that has never happened. She honors me because she loves Jesus more than she loves me. And therefore, she submits to me as to the Lord. He is her per first and primary devotion. And therefore, it's not all that difficult to submit to me, even when I'm unworthy, because her higher devotion is already set. And so when we say, when Paul says, wives, be subject to your husbands, that's not a command to silently follow behind him like a puppy dog, right? 
That's not what it means. And it's certainly not a command to bear up under abuse and just take it. All right? That, what a horrible mistake that is to make. And, and I don't know if anybody in the room would, would resonate with that, or maybe you are counseling somebody, a friend or a relative, who is in an abusive situation. Don't you dare tell them, bear up under that, because that's what submission means. Now, that, that's something that needs to be stopped. That's something that the whistle needs to be blown, and she needs to get to a safe place. Okay? Submission does not mean that you bear up under abuse and call it godliness. Okay? This is a call, Paul says, this is a call to unselfishly honor and love the man God has given you for covenant marriage. It sounds simple. It's not that simple, okay? Because it is, it is, a, it is a voluntary act that you have to take up every single day. And it is unto the Lord before it's unto your spouse. Now, guys, real quick, again, next week for us, okay? But real, here's our one little lesson, men, for today. We... We, we've seen this. This kind of submission is hard for her. Don't make it harder than it has to be, men. And I'm preaching to myself on this. We can make this a joy, not a burden. We can make her want to do this. That, a lot of that depends on how we treat her. Right? And so if we don't... If, if, all, if my wife has to submit to me because the Bible says so, then she's in a bad spot. She may do it anyway because she loves God, but I, I want to cultivate that for her, okay? I don't ever want Jennifer, you know, reciting the 23rd Psalm whenever I walk into the room. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for that. You know, I don't want, I don't want her to ever view me as a hindrance or a burden to her. And so I can help her obey this. We all can. Uh, last thing I'll say, ladies specifically, the, marriage is one of the places where we need the gospel of grace the most. All right? It's one of those places where we desperately need it. We need Christ. Everything we've just talked about, if it, you can't do this from within your own resources. You just can't. It doesn't happen. You require a new heart. You require a transformation of mind, a constant renewal of mind that only the Lord Jesus can provide. Your spouse can't do this for you. Your spouse will not live up to this and be worthy of this kind of honor and appreciation and submission. It's got to come from Christ. And so the first step, the most important step for us today is not a practical thing. It's, it's a spiritual thing. You've got to take a step toward Jesus. And listen to, listen to what the scripture says about Christ, that he died and he rose again for the forgiveness of your sins, to make you a child of God for all eternity. And what the scripture says about Jesus is that he has made you his bride. That's the imagery that the Bible chooses, that we are the bride of Christ, and that as a groom, he has adorned you, ladies, in brilliant, pure white, blinding white. That's how pure you are because of Christ. And he has made you holy and blameless before him. Jesus is your groom in a way that no man can ever touch. And he makes this kind of earthly marriage possible. It's not, in, it's not within us to produce this. He can produce this and him alone. And so, ladies, you, you've got to today, you've got to ask for a renovation of heart in this. Um, you've got to pray, and I, and I want to I help lead you in prayer. Even as a man, I want to help lead you in prayer 
that your hearts would be first on pleasing God and walking with God before you get to the task of trying to love and honor and submit to your husband. That is a secondary reality. That is an outgrowth of the first. That's why it says, submit to him as to Christ. That when you are in line with Jesus, this, this secondary thing, as important as marriage is, it's secondary. It becomes not, not only possible, but I'd say it becomes very likely because you are a godly woman walking out godly marriage. And just, you know, some of y'all have to take my word for this. It really becomes fun when we do it God's way, right? It's not just pure and gracious. It's enjoyable because that's the way he set it up. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to lead the ladies in prayer the best I can here. Uh, men, uh, pray for them right now. Some of you men need to pray for your future wife, perhaps, right now. Um, but we're going to ask that God would do a work in us that we cannot do without him. And so, Father, we ask right now, um, I ask on behalf of these precious women created in your image, made to glorify you, not first and foremost as wives, but first and foremost as your daughters, that you gladly shed your blood, Jesus Christ, for the life of these women. And having saved them, Lord, having made them holy and blameless and spotless, having not counted any of their sins against them, Lord, you have now called them into this special office, this special function, unique to human beings. No other creature knows this blessing, the blessing of marriage, the blessing of being a wife. No angel knows this blessing. It's unique to us. Father, would you make it that, uh, that for every wife and future wife, perhaps in this room, that, Lord, you would so center their hearts on you, Jesus Christ, as their groom, as their Savior, that, Lord, everything else becomes secondary to that. I pray, Lord, that they would not look to their husbands as their identity or their, or their fulfillment or their significance. We can't do that. No man can do that. But that, Lord, that they would find those things in you. And having found, Lord, the, the, the deepest roots of their hearts, Lord, being planted down into Christ, I pray, Lord, that they then would have nothing that they really need from the man that they've committed their lives to. But that they would be able to enjoy the fruit of a secure identity um, that is found in the Lord. And now, in a, in a supernatural way, Lord, they would be able to uh, obey your word and lovingly, voluntarily come up under that man. Father, I, I know this because I'm a sinner too. Everything in us pushes against this. We don't want to do this any more than a man likes to submit to his boss or the government. We, we, nobody likes to submit. So, Father, you've got to change us. You've got to show us, Lord, what the Bible doesn't mean, but also show us what it does mean, that this is a, this is a blessing. This is the way you've ordered it for flourishing and for delight. And so, Father, I pray for the, the, the preciousness of this role of, of wife, and mother, Father, would you, uh, 
Would you show us just how wonderful it is when we do it your way, when we obey you, and Lord, when we uh, when two play at this game? And so for us as husbands, Father, uh, show us what it is to cultivate this kind of heart in our wives. Um, we shouldn't just expect this, Father. We should promote this in how we live. And Lord, uh, we, we just beg for your help in this. Um, show us the grace that comes from Jesus Christ that we cannot produce, we can only receive. And Lord, let it, let it trickle down into our homes, into our bedrooms, into our kitchens, and into our dens so that we can be the kind of people, Father, who model an uncommon marriage, a marriage that the world cannot possibly understand, a marriage that involves loving submission and sacrificial, gracious uh, love of a husband too. Um, Help us, Father. Help us. We need your help. We need your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.